Hey everybody, welcome back to Pack Your Mics, the Top Chef program from the creators of Reading Weep. We are in the midst of a season 10 rewatch. So this is season 10, episode 4, the 50s food flashback. I'm your host, Alex, joined as always in our Los Angeles apartment by Megan. Hey buddy. Hello. Also joining us in Northern California, it's Ez and Sarah. Hello. Hello. Your neighbor Totoro is babysitting today. Yes. Yeah. That's like the only thing that Totoro says. I having not watched that one, but I've seen enough Ghibli to be familiar with that sound. Yeah, it's friendly though. It's a friendly. Oh, oh, okay, good. Yeah, that's hard to tell sometimes. Um, yeah. Also joining us in Brooklyn, New York, it's Chris and Tanya. Hey guys. Hey, hey. Hootie who? And rounding out the panel, uh, also in Los Angeles, it's New Sarah and Kyle. Welcome back. Good day, Crab Louie. <laughs> to you, good friends. <laughs> so yeah, good crabbing to you. <laughs> this is episode ten dot oh four fifty suit flashback. And um, before we get into the actual uh, episode, I think we should start with um, a feels dump. Uh, before the show, we had a couple people almost say stuff and then bite their tongues. So it is time to release your tongues, friends. How is everybody feeling about season ten? Was was this a mistake? I. I don't know if it's a mistake. I think this is a good thing because we're revisiting arguably the worst episodes of Top Chef. Yes. Of yes. Like, I'm still going to say Texas is a worse season, but I, I think we're about to discuss the single worst meal ever cooked on Top Chef. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Interesting. This was the what least appetizing. Mom, the mom brunch was pretty bad. Um, what was the one where they all put food on dirty rocks in the desert? That one was bad too, but this feels more... No, it's the one guy. But this feels like bad by design. Like bad challenge idea. Bad. Yeah. yeah. You know? Like yeah. just like poor choices were made. It, it, was was, it was cooked dishes no one wants to eat anymore. Yeah. And it was, it's the first, like they do stuff inspired by old menu food or old, or old trends yeah. a lot. Update it. Update they were like, an old classic. Update yeah. this. Just do it. Yeah, just, just make do it, it as it was, picture. and then we'll all muse on how it probably was. What? Yeah. <laughs> I think none of us experienced. Uh, in 2012, was that the, was that was really hot? Just like, give us garbage. Um, like yeah, it was so big. Like it wasn't. Mad Men hadn't ended yet, or maybe that was the last season of Mad Men, so they wanted to sort of coast off Don Draper. <laughs> That's what it was. Coast. People were just still obsessed with Matthew Weiner's tiny apples. Like that was what was. Is it, does everyone else think of that? Every time I think of Mad Men, I think about how people were so into the fact that Matthew like obs- obsessed about the size of the apples shown on TV because they would have been smaller back then. Oh my god! Really? Exhausted. I'm exhausted. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's bad. Oh man. Uh, people were also much smaller back in the fifties. Was he fo- focused on that? <laughs> yes, that was. Yeah. Also what's part what's of the it. apple to person size ratio? You know, mm. that coefficient may have stayed. Was, yeah, it was a proportionate. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Tanya, what else were you feeling about about the season so far? I, th- I think, you know, the, the metric of like how much service are you doing to the place you're setting your season in is something that just feels like it got uh, bypassed here. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, I yeah, I guess it just... It feels like you are supposed to start with kind of like the foundations of the city and like what it what it's about, where where are you within the city? Like what are the sort of like big important things about the city? And I got to say like 
it just feels like that that groundwork didn't happen with you're saying from tall to trenta this challenge was pretty tall it's the whole season is pretty tall i just feel like it's and like and somehow like they keep doing this weird lip service thing where they're like this is like a staple of seattle cuisine and you're like what do you mean like what does that even (laughs) look like like what are the components of seattle cuisine or even pacific northwest cuisine like what is that like is it clams like what are you saying yeah i mean just being like you know what there were seattle was a city in the 1950s and there were restaurants here in the 1950s this was one of them this and restaurant like, invented Pacific Northwest West cuisine, which is specifically Hawaiian food smuggled here by stewardesses. Yeah I, d- yeah, I just don't get it. I mean, props to Sheldon for picking Mahi Mahi and nailing it. But like, you know, it's fine. It's not very seattle It's weird. Um, yeah. But I will say, like, I mean, it's just hard because so many aspects of like, like the attitudes of the chefs don't age that great. Like the ways that the challenges are set up is like, difficult especially coming off of such a strong like all-stars season like it just it makes it makes a lot of the things that don't quite work about this season stand out in even sharper relief what's also and the the food is so boring like i haven't seen a single dish where i'm like oh that's really interesting or i even just want to taste it like none of them Mm -hmm. yeah it shows how quickly like like the culinary like scene has changed this is 2012 right yeah, so like it's been eight years, but even like the food world has changed so much that like this feels so stale. But also like Top Chef has evolved their production and like how they craft a season in a way that like it feels very alien compared to the last three, four seasons of Top Chef even. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, and I remember at the time feeling that this felt very alien and, you know, like, you know, this canless challenge, for example, is not the way that. Top Chef typically explores a city or does food. This is a, you know, similar to the, you know, some of the challenges that we saw to get onto the show. It's kind of a mimicry challenge. You know, it's it's sort of a, okay, can you make this thing, you know, but not be creative or be a chef, you know? Well, it's similar to the what to the uh, Santa Monica restaurant that they went to on the last season that we mm-hmm. um yeah no that is a really good uh although that one specifically yeah. did say update yeah and this one specifically did not mention updating it was I like anyone was, did it didn't look no, like I, everything no. was retro you yeah, were judged on how retro how you know per, what the perception yeah, was of how retro it was like, this was this was so like it was like this was so 50s appropriate um, which is not a compliment for them. It was like, you just did a good job of capturing this thing that I would not want otherwise. Tyler was or celebrated you... for his chopped up lettuce. Yeah, yeah. For, <laughs> they loved the... <laughs> gonna, I want to come back to that lettuce because I do not understand the physics <laughs> of that lettuce blowing Tom's mind. Really good use of lettuce. Uh, um, so I totally agree with all of that. I think that is all super true, but this is not a counterpoint, but just sort of a a lateral move, which is that also I am excited to watch it every week and talk to you guys about it. Oh yeah, no, for sure. I thought I I wasn't sure I would. I thought I was wondering how the rewatch would feel because it doesn't have the newness, but even though I saw the season, I've seen the season a couple times watching it and then getting to talk about it with you just changes the way that I think about it. And also not power, not just like, crunching 10 episodes in, in three days watching it once a week it's like it still gives me something that i'm kind of like looking forward to when we watch it on friday so like 
even what this is why I've got I got through those bad parts of this show to get to the be- those great parts is that I'm still like I was like giddy when we turned it on yesterday. It was fun. I I, I felt Aww. a different way. Like I I'm looking. I'm enjoying watching this peach meal because it's sort of like forcing us to enjoy and like process things instead of like get to the end, which is what like binge TV culture has created. And like it, yeah. it's this is forcing us to sort of engage with how much joy going slower is with TV shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a it's an old tradition honored by our ancestors and not really engaged with by modern people. <laughs> Gen X forebears every week. <laughs> every week, party of five. <laughs> oh, should we well, do party of five, guys? <laughs> no, <laughs> I think that was my takeaway. Uh, sometimes I think about Nev Campbell. Anyway, anyway, um, all right. Let's get in a little deeper to this episode. Um, actually, well, no, one more thing. Um, this is related to this episode too. But um, in addition to our release the tongue update, let's do a quick villain update. So one thing I think is super, super notable about season 10 is that the race for most villainous villain is hot. Um, well, this and- is the thing that really hasn't aged well on Top Chef is the like personality component of it, where they yeah. try to sculpt it in a way of more traditional reality TV where they want all this interpersonal drama before they realize that that really wasn't what people were watching Top Chef for. And totally. this, it's like, I don't need that scene of like, Stefan like giving foot rubs to like try to suggest some sort of flirtatious relationship between him and Kristen, which obviously wasn't a thing. It was just them like hanging out at the house and they tried to make a moment out of it. Or like, I don't need 10 minutes of people talking about how loud Carla is. We've, we've established it. it yeah. Just- so let's, I, I want to yeah. give a, a, a full and complete exoneration to Carla for any reputation as a villain she has. I mean, this is like now that she's been eliminated, double eliminated today, I feel like there was nothing in it. Like trying to like in my memory, she was villainous and watching back on this, like I, the only thing was <laughs> she she's did, just very chaotic as a presence in the kitchen, which is not chaotic, the same as villainy, which matters a little mattered more when you're actually running service in a small kitchen and someone's trying to expedite and you can't be heard but like every time she opens her mouth at normal volume stefan is like oh this crazy lady and he is the problem it turns out a hundred percent it's thumbs problem and not hers oh guys i just realized so if we have like a bias towards like loudness and villainy are there some really quiet people who are just straight up evil that are going under the radar that's like indeed Oh, she's not evil. Come on. Yeah. Come on. Come no, on. She, she uh, murdered somebody on the season. True fact. Okay. okay. Got away well, with Bravo it. missed some editing opportunities, I must say. <laughs> they only care about loudness. No, I, yeah. Um, quiet villains. Of course, quiet villains are the more scary ones. You don't get the good villain songs. You don't get Be Prepared or the My Little Pony one you sent us a few weeks ago, but you get. I remembered why you'd sent me that now. Um, but you, yeah, you, the quiet ones are the scariest ones. Yeah. I, well, that's yeah. in real life. I would say on reality television, it's much harder to it's much harder to see that. But that's also part of why reality television is probably not good preparation for real life. No, yeah, it's, not ideal. it's hard um, to find the like structural villains among the cast. Well, uh, so contrarywise to Carla, um, we do have the 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 episode opens on some drama today, which is why we have to talk about this with um, 
the continuation of the end of last episode was um, John attacking Kaneko for no reason at all and CJ cautiously defending him. Being like, then when, dude, she just got eliminated. Like, yeah, and not yeah. attacking her in person, mind you. Just like saying no, we, yeah. lame stuff about her after her exiting the competition. For no reason at all. And then, um, and, and I... I am so uh, afraid of any confrontation at all. And so I admire when somebody can actually disagree politely the way CJ did, which is like, come on, man. Like, we don't need to do this. We're all having a good time. It's not. And then Josh, out of nowhere, releases 30 pages of oppo research on John. (laughs) Oh, I know. (laughs) He just opens up. He's like, I know every restaurant you've closed. I know every complaint filed against you. I have your Yelp reviews here on file. Like, what josh's yeah. energy is um interesting i <laughs> it's, it's it feels like someone succumbing to like the worst the worst things that reality television brings out in you in like real time because he seemed so chill in his very first appearance and now he's already like going to 11 in terms of the like <laughs> everyone's out to get me thing yeah. Uh, so I think he's just throwing storylines out there to see what sticks. Basically, yeah, right. <laughs> like, why? Well, the editors go for this. I just want, I just want my my, my screen time. As uh, what what's wonderful about your point of view here is that you're always willing to assume the delightful trickster in people who are really just selfish asses. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Just like, well, what if this could be fun? And I'm like, is Ezra's version of evil. Uh, I, the way I see it, I think is that. There's so many different things that will derail people that it's tough to be too evil for too long without something like kind of like you know, throwing like a wrench in the works, I guess. It's like, I think it's, it's hard to be, I guess, it's hard to be effective and evil. And so that ineffectiveness, people failing to be evil, that's what I really go for. That's what you enjoy. Yeah. Well, I also wonder if like there's uh, an innate like Oklahoma Texas rivalry thing oh. that oh. sparking anger in uh, Tyler. Or no, not Tyler. Josh. Josh. Josh, I'm getting yeah, I'm getting the. If it helps, Megan's taken to calling him Snidely Whiplash. If that yeah. helps you remember, yes. <laughs> that's uh, really help him remember Josh. But <laughs> <laughs> it helps you not have to remember, I guess. Yeah, but like Josh is from Tulsa, and like they're both throwing like they're both mentioning where they're from and their insults back at one another. That's so, true. do you think this is all deeply just a fight over a panhandle? Maybe it's it's a part of the land grab. Joshua, you grab that land. You do you got want it. Panhandle, or do you government. not want the panhandle? Is there, I think is you there, want it. Is there good meat there? I think Texas wants to touch Kansas, and it can't because Oklahoma was like mine. You cannot be with my sister. <laughs> and then, and then Oklahoma really wanted to touch Albuquerque. It's a very strange um, little corner of the map. So mm-hmm. I believe that that's part of the fight. But yeah, it's really, uh, like Josh could maybe be like a low-key guy, but then the moment uh, he sees another Texas chef, he's like, oh, fuck Texas, this piece of shit. Yeah, I <laughs> I, do wonder, I do wonder how much interaction they'd had before because he just knew so much, like, cr- like but it was creepy. There was, uh, like, like, John, you have a child. <laughs> <laughs> You're not even taking good care of your child. What child? Yeah, it was weird. Uh and he didn't attack all the obvious things like you wear your glasses weird. Yeah. Yeah, you you have an unconventional approach to glasses on your face. It's it's true. As I usually put them over my eyes or safely away. I never I never think my forehead needs to see better. It's just kind of like sort of like the, the, the nose out of the face mask kind of situation where it's just like you're so yeah, close right. to getting it right. 
Uh, it's right there. <laughs> um, the only good part of that fight is that after this whole long period of bickering, uh, um, uh, John pops back with happy Thanksgiving. So that gets us all back on track, remembering the important things that it's June Thanksgiving. Um, so we get to the specifics of today's episode after that little villain update at the beginning. Uh, we have a, uh, we got a beefy quick fire specifically the chefs have one hour to make a beef dish using beef that is still mostly attached to the beef. There's like a whole half of a beef and you have to like get a little piece of beef off it. They roll out one of those cranes you use to get an engine out of your car, but or, just half a cow hanging on him. Or they used to get a cow out of your car. I mean, like, <laughs> if you had a cow in your car, this would be very useful. Um, the uh, the guest judge for this uh, for the quick fart today though was Naomi Pomeroy, which was very exciting to me. She's um, I've gotten to meet her a couple times, and I really I yeah. find her delightful. In person. Famed for being from Seattle, right? <laughs> yeah, um, very tall as far as Seattle goes. She's the chef owner of Beast in Portland. Um, and also a uh, fun fact about Naomi is that she is like this month opening a new restaurant in Kyoto at the brand new Ace Hotel Kyoto. Oh, so, good for her. Very cool. Again, a, a Seattle treasure. We love, we love her. <laughs> Seattle loves Naomi Pomeroy and no idea. all the Seattle chefs um, gather around her restaurant in to Seattle. Celebrate specifically Seattle cuisine. Yes. It's great. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. I understand and how this classic, is. A huge whole cow. There was like, <laughs> there was no, they didn't talk about like, I was like, okay, beef, beef, like a good steak is kind of retro. I guess that maybe ties into the main challenge, but there was like, I'm so sorry. This is not supposed to be a pun. It's going to come across as one. There's no connective tissue between this like, quick fire <laughs> and anything to do with the rest of the episode. No. And in fact, this could have been an elimination challenge, yeah. like this particular style thing. And we've seen this be an elimination challenge. Yeah. 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 It's, it's, it is a little bit like, wow, like, you know, butchery is like such an art and such a process and getting product on this scale and getting access to this kind of product is like such a thing and you should really respect it and you should take your time and, oh, or maybe just do it in an hour. What? Just just hack off a piece. The the reason why you buy the whole animal is so you can cut a little piece off the corner and throw the rest away with your crane. Oh, that made me so queasy when they had the shots of just the like whole side of beef in the background. I was like, I hope they yeah. use this. Like that. Yeah. yeah, it was so rough. It's like, is that going to fair start so they can make a lot of food out of it? Like, what are what are we doing? Yeah, I know that they do. Like, are they, they are they going to send it back to to Portland? Where Naomi's <laughs> restaurant is so one of the three stores down the road. Buy, yeah, yeah. Naomi, cool. He like famous for buying whole animals and using the entire animal in the restaurant. So this yeah. was like mm-hmm. you got half of what you're about, and then really didn't care about the other half. It's um, just too bad there were no people in Seattle with restaurants that could have come and talked about <laughs> cooking meat I, at I all. Think, I think what we're forgetting, guys, is that taking the large side of beef off of the hook is a traditional Seattle sport. (laughs) It's very difficult and very, very important to make the chefs do. It's it's one of the indigenous uh, specific regional competitions that happened at the summer solstice. Yeah. It's the, yeah, it's the traditional Seattle comedy edit that we definitely needed to spend like more than a minute with. I don't understand how all but two of the chefs used one, one of the, pieces of meat, one of the beefs yeah one of the beefs and then like there were just two people on their own trying to yeah. <laughs> well i think are, are you kidding me megan i mean like uh, no not i guess to me it seems clear that if you let 
a couple people struggle to get the beef off the hook and then on the counter, you're going to take what you can from that as opposed to having to hoist the other half yourself. So people yeah. did other cuts so from that. It's understandable why they just took lesser cuts from left leg instead of trying to help with right leg. Correct. Yeah, I see that. It is weird that those the other two, I guess, because it wasn't like there was a shortage of beef on the other leg. So, yeah. I guess well, also... Wanted- I mean, it's, yeah. it's the whole half a cow. It's not just the leg. Just yeah, that's right. yeah. two legs. And actually, Megan, too. Sorry, I didn't mean to to shut that down so I, so hard. I like how uh, you, you it is the edit. Are you kidding? Funny. Never mind. Chris is, Chris is tone policing himself over here. <laughs> <laughs> Very so, um, I think she could have handled it, but yeah, um, oh, well, we're good a friends. Fair point. A fair point. I. I did like a couple of approaches to this. So I liked, even though it didn't end up mattering that much, I liked Kish's approach where she was just like, I grabbed the first part I could find because I wanted the time to cook, yeah. uh, which I, I think makes sense. Considering that so many of these challenges, like you cook with whatever garbage they give you to be like, I'm not going to spend a lot of time selecting the food. I, I want the hour. Um, I also, as disgusting as it was to watch, I enjoyed CJ's approach, which was, I'm just going to nibble this beef. Oh, man. <laughs> Slicing off. I, that's that's just some, like, stones. That's a guy with stones. <laughs> yeah. I Although like- they say, with good quality beef that's been handled well, that that's, you know, absolutely safe, mm-hmm. safe and fine. Yeah. That doesn't make it not oogie. Well, this is much it's, more in my line with my approach, I think, to Top Chef. It's like the, can you turn into like a Costco-free sample run? Where it's just like, <laughs> using the extra time to get, get a little get a little num-nums. Uh, oh, <laughs> get a little nosh. I kind well, of imagine that they do that after the quick fire. Like, everybody maybe does like a little sampling tour. Oh, God. If after the quick fire is over, the cameras turn off, and then you just see 15 chefs gathered around a half of a raw cow just nibbling at it. Like nibbling hyena. each other's dishes, you weirdo. <laughs> Are you kidding me? I'm the weirdo. That's what you put in my head. I, I was just not. sitting here. I did and not. You were like, I basically, do- they basically made like some sort of very strange like family meal that they can now all eat. That's what That's I was picturing. Way to be true. Um, if I uh, Top Chef, most of my bags are going to be like Tupperware for later. <laughs> yeah, everyone gets to bring one special ingredient, and Ezra's is a 200 pack of Tupperware. And at the end of the night, you cut to all these different people like writing notes in their journals, and Ez is just eating. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's like, hey, limited flaxseed oil. <laughs> I have to. <laughs> just have plastic to. spoon eating flaxseed oil out of a tupper where he packed himself. <laughs> I think I'm making that same. I'm making that journal list, but it's all just the different Tupperware ranking that I have. <laughs> yeah, when you steal an entire Top Chef pantry, you better label your Tupperware. Yeah. Um, the uh, bottom of the uh, half of a cow challenge uh, was Eliza and uh, Lizzie and Tyler, who um, can do nothing right. Oh, Tyler. Yeah, oh, Tyler's yeah. taking a drubbing and proving that he doesn't really have the mentality to be on a competition show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I am glad that he got some positive feedback later because I did not want to see him be so much sad. He's um, got a lot of energy of like he stumbled into the wrong show. Like he thought <laughs> he was going on Chopped and then he's like, oh God, it's Top Chef. I gotta do it again tomorrow. I also just like I feel very sensitive to his like recovery journey where I'm like, honey, mm-hmm. you are seven months sober and you decided to go on a show where you have to live with a bunch of chefs who drink and smoke constantly. Like, what was your plan? You have to sit in a wine cave and listen to people argue for six hours a night. Yeah, That's, like this this, this was your plan for yourself. Wow. 
Um, on the top, Snidely, Whitna- Whitla- Snidely Whiplash made good meatballs. Uh, CJ's um, num nums uh, were pretty nice. And um, then John won for his properly braised oxtail, outdoing Lizzie's improperly braised oxtail. Um, Lizzie, Lizzie, oh, did you mean Lizzie, did you mean to undercook your oxtail so much? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I thought it was Micah who had the oxtail. Yeah. yeah oh, no, Micah. sorry. Lizzie mm-hmm. did not properly brace her shank, and then Micah also had the oxtail that he did not do as well. Good point. The tops um, of this quick fire were like, oops, all villains. And yeah, it was. It was. Well, yeah, especially after that opening, and to get just John, Josh, CJ all in that same little group together, and then all despising John. Oh, and the way the order was great because CJ was like, oh, I really hope John doesn't get this top. And CJ, he's like, I really want to beat John. So CJ's in the top and he's like looking all good. And then next uh, in the top was John and they cut to CJ's face and it just fell. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. uh, You can watch him die on the inside for just a moment. Guys, guys. Okay. So we've watched CJ for a long time. Here's a trivia question. What is his actual name? Mm. Oh, I did know this. I actually knew this briefly a couple weeks ago. Is it a Charles? He's like a carrot. He's, like a, he's a food guy. <laughs> carrot, carrot Julian. <laughs> carrot, jo- <laughs> carrot Julian. That's carrot a good Joe. one. <laughs> Definitely rebrand him. Uh, Criminy Jones. <laughs> I do know his last name is Jacobson. That's correct. That is the J. Oh, that's the J. Oh, I thought oh, it was so CJ his... Jacobson. Oh. No. Oh, wow. Oh, so it's not CJJ. No, it's, it's, it's Chris Jacobson, and he goes by CJ. Oh, oh. all right. I'm into that. Good, good one. Trivia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Transitioning into uh, the elimination challenge today, as we've talked about a little bit here specifically, is the challenge is to recreate the 1950s opening night menu from famous Seattle landmark restaurant Canless and then run service. And if that wasn't enough, it's also a double elimination. Yeah. Um, the judges are the brothers canless grandsons of the original owners um, who, um, as the adorable story they told Tom went, um, couldn't get anyone to loan him money. So he had to just build a restaurant with the measly $50,000 he had <laughs> in his pocket. What a hard luck story for Scrampappy canless. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the, the beautiful legacy of inherited wealth is just so <laughs> fun to see play out in these charming grandsons. No, yeah. do it exactly how Granddad would have done it. <laughs> this isn't Granddad's salad. <laughs> he was for interpret, not be creative. Do it the way I want it. <laughs> they were, he was forced to build this restaurant like on a beautiful peak overlooking the entire city. Like, oh, like very humbly, I mean, uh, he lived a- above this like that's... amazing modernist <laughs> building. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He yeah. had to live in the three bedrooms upstairs. It's uh, um, Can I just say that I grew up, uh, I would say, probably a six-minute drive from Canless Restaurant. It's in a weird place. It's in a weird corner next to nothing. It's next to oh, okay. a bridge. <laughs> yeah. Like, okay. literally, it's on It's on what I would say, like, a lot of people, if you showed just a picture of the road that is next to Canless, would be like, well, that's a highway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's a highway murder bridge, basically. Yeah, it's a highway murder bridge. And... Um, and it's on its way. It's like if you pass it and you don't turn correctly, you'll just go downtown. Like there's not another way. Like you can't turn around. It's not in a neighborhood. It's just, uh, it's like just in the middle of what feels kind of like nowhere. Yeah. Um, so and again, in that way, if you know, you know. Oh, I'm sorry, you, Alex. But it is like above like a 
it is right above the lake though in a beautiful way so it's like maybe it so so you're saying it is a little scrappy because it's not the best location it's, it's but it not does a have good a location of- it is a very cool view it's a beautiful view it's a view you can also have from the bridge um <laughs> but the thing i will say about it is i've never been there in my life yeah. I not he was a single camp. time yeah i yeah i don't i don't know people who went there i don't know what they're like great thing is that they do i know that it's expensive that's the thing i know about it i'm like whoa there's that expensive restaurant that's next to the bridge yeah. i was just going to uh, ask uh, marianne uh by email asked us i will be said uh marianne said i'll be curious to hear if any of you have ever been to canlis i had never heard of any of the place and after checking out the prices mentioned on TripAdvisor, i don't think i'll be going anytime soon yeah, it is one of those old money or, or sort of like establishment fine dining restaurants where nothing has really changed that much in terms of stylistically in a long time. And it's not going to be at the forefront of anything. But the people who, you know, go there keep going there. It looks like you might go there after you dropped your boat off three blocks away at the Yacht Club. If the Yacht Club was that close to Canlis, then yeah, you could do that. <laughs> it does look like it's really close to the Yacht Club. It looks like it's... I mean, maybe it's a weird. There are weird hills. It's kind of oh, weird. Yeah, if you again, yeah. if you know your turns on that really weird stretch of road. Yeah, it looks like yeah, it looks like from the map, it's like a hundred feet from the yacht club, but with no roads going in between them. So yeah. that's a weird. It is a weird little place over there. Yeah, it's, it's the equivalent, spot. I would say, um, or at least Tanya, feel free to disagree with me um, or anybody, but it's the equivalent of an old New York steakhouse um, yeah. here on the East Coast, where it's like things are always done this way. You know, you got to order your your weird overcooked asparagus on the side, and yeah, you know. and like your terrine of like truffle sauce, like that. Yeah, all yeah. of that kind of. And stuff. And like some people love going for that specific experience, but in terms of generationally, what we look for in a restaurant, I, right. I don't think there's any interest there. Um, uh, Marianne also added, "I found Tyler's pronouncement. I can't do anything right in the quick fire to be the most Charlie Brown moment in the history oh of the show." <laughs> yeah, so, oh, so Tyler. Um, oh, it doesn't help that he's just the sweatiest lad. Like <laughs> he's a sweaty boy. Um, that's true. Uh, one thing, so one we, fun fact about Canlis, I just want to share because, like, we're it feels like we're ragging on them pretty hard. <laughs> yeah, sorry, Canlis. Sorry if you're incredible and everyone's secret best friend. I well, just, no, I just want to say a cool thing they did uh, in the pandemic is like immediately when Seattle got hit, they shut down their office and or their uh, dining room and started serving burgers as a drive-through. Oh, oh that's awesome! In their staff, yeah. yeah, they they shifted completely to like definitely canless style and canless price burgers, but like they were selling yeah. burgers and fries where people would drive through their parking lot and pick it up from but the Dick's Drive-In business model. Because that's the other thing is they used <laughs> to have val- they used to have Valley Parking, which was I think the only place in Seattle I knew of, other than like hotels downtown that did like Valley Parking. Um, so that yeah. that parking lot is generous enough that you could basically set up a drive-through, which is awesome. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's cool. I like that. I also really like this view. Um, so it does It does seem like a place that um, it would be nice to look out. Oh, it's a terrible place for live music, though. Okay. Anyway, sorry. I'm <laughs> describing photos. I see also, I sure hope out. you like that one guy in the brass grill room. Oh, man. <laughs> oh, yeah, the grill room was room. very overwhelming. It looked Why like that? Or it, copper, it did, I guess. It yeah, definitely it looked like a torture chamber. What? Why also, I'm sure. Like, like that. I just kept thinking about the like bottle of polish and the rag that they would hand their like staging like, intern to go in and be like, all right, well, end of the night, time to clean the copper room. Yeah, why? I just can't understand like how that helps a kitchen. Like why even if like, 
why would you say like, all right, everything that has fire is going in this one room. Only two people can fit inside it. There's the tiniest window to send food out and a door that's swinging. Like it bothers both sides. Like it screws around with the people in the copper chamber and the people outside. There's nothing efficient about that room. It seems like that room was built for a nuclear explosion. Like there, (laughs) there has to be something that it's protecting you from. Well, clearly it's it's the show grill, you know? It's sort of the almost teppanyaki style thing. I was going to say, is that like, can you see it from the restaurant? Yeah, oh, I think so. Then, yeah. When they walked in, it looked like you could see it. Um, right, well, it is side. pretty. From so then. maybe that's just like, ooh, it is a, a, a steakhouse. And here's where they make the steak. And they're little. Yeah, it's so like a, <laughs> a man in a satin tuxedo like waves at you and is like, oh, you're here. <laughs> squab right away, sir. Like. Yeah. Um, I can't say the, that's very impressive. Uh, I went to a restaurant in DC, like one of the last restaurants I probably will ever go to. Uh, <laughs> but it was like a Mediterranean place. And they had like this, instead of being in like a chamber, it was like in the middle of the first floor of the dining room, all these chefs like on like an open fire grill, like making everything. So it felt, it felt like you're going into like the Moss Eisley Cantina in Star Wars, <laughs> like, just, like stuff happening all around you. Yeah. Well, so they're in this weird restaurant on a hill with no car access to perfectly recreate the 1950s menu. No reinterpretation. They're just grabbing items off the menu and giving them back to us. Um, And uh, the winner gets $10,000 and two losers go home. So on the top, great news, you guys. Sweaty Tyler comes out way ahead with his fresh crab leg cocktail. Um, So please now, I would like you to explain to me Tom specifically said, I really liked the way he used lettuce. Yeah. What was the, what, so he's got a cocktail glass with crab, crab in it, crab salad, crab, whole crab? Crab leg. Uh, crab legs. Yeah. Crab Shelled leg. crab leg. Sure. What did the lettuce do? Well, he chopped it up and he put it in the bottom of the glass. So and at that... the end, you got a surprise of chopped lettuce. A dessert <laughs> of chopped lettuce. Mm-hmm. I, th- I mean, clearly it's a texture thing, right? Yeah, but you know, it allowed you to get like some crunch with every bite, right? Alex, Alex, have you ever just seen one of those, uh, you know, Easter baskets? And you're like, okay, I oh, get the it was an stuff. Easter basket. Yeah, I get this there so that it makes it look like I have one. I do. But did you ever get annoyed that you couldn't eat that thick grass? No, this is all the time. <laughs> I'm I'm annoyed about it now. Yeah, there you go. Tyler solved that for you. Do you wow, think? Wow, way Tom's- to go, Tyler. Do you think Tom's the type of person that when you get like a shrimp cocktail that's just like one giant romaine leaf with like the shrimp inside, he eats all the shrimp, dips them in, and then he's like, I'm going to eat that big ass leaf. <laughs> I'm not going to eat anything. He's eating the garnish. Yeah. That, that is, yeah. Well, because if you put it on the plate, it's not only is it, can you eat it, but it's also, you really, it's a challenge to finish the whole thing. It's like, you know what? I so bet you he, can't eat all your, your shredded cabbage. I bet you can't so eat all that. So Tom was really appreciative of the shredded lettuce because it allowed the chopped lettuce because it allowed him to eat it easier than it would have if it was a big ass leaf that he would have still finished. Yeah, maybe that's it. He's gonna eat very the possible. Stuff he can. Yeah. <laughs> Tom is in the corner nibbling on this martini glass, hoping it's sugar. Hopefully uh, it's sugar. Um also on the top, Lizzie did a good job of marinating herring and um oh tragically the thumb did a good job with calves liver and uh but fascinatingly so as much as there is like bad stuff going on in the season we remember that there's some really good cooking on the season and today was sort of the like first moment that everyone takes notice of Kristen kish i think we 
first couple episodes, she she was um, not blowing anybody away, but she was given the task of onion rings and mushrooms. And instead of just grump and dump about it, she just crushed that. She just made the most perfect onion rings, which are getting perfect onion rings is super impressive, but they were even more impressed by the mushrooms, which she thought to par bake, I guess uh, is what you'd call it. She'd like flash, yeah, flash to get some the water out. Yeah. Yeah. So that the, they weren't watery. And, um, and she was even like not impressed with herself. She was just like, yeah, I know how to do it. And they, but they were all blown away that she knew how to do it. Yeah. This is uh, Kristen's understated excellence where she's just like, yeah, I, I took it and I just I did it and did it was great. I'm glad you liked it. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It, that's that is one of the fun storylines of the season. And it's good. To, it's great to see it begin today in this weird 50s menu. Um, yeah. She was just like she was just the best mushrooms she could be when she needed to be. I yeah. do think there is. I mean, it also speaks to some top chef acumen that like is is i think gets easier and easier to access for like contestants as time goes on but like basically like the simpler the thing you choose to do is the better it needs to be oh, yeah. Yeah. and she even that, said that to camera yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah she yeah. said that to camera but i feel like people don't necessarily like i, I don't know if people embraced it in that same way in 2012 like, like generally I, speaking yeah, yeah yeah and that idea that like just because you were assigned something simple doesn't mean it's a throwaway thing because yeah. i to me i feel like there's still this sense of like you've got to show off you've got to do the biggest thing like i'll take the turkey it's risky it's crazy like you know yeah. like yeah th- this idea of like no i can still shine even with the simplest thing like doing this incredibly well benefits me just as much as if i had done like some crazy spread you know yes and, and it's also not go ahead sorry What's also interesting on this one because I can't remember was it Stefan or was it John who was assigning people for no reason? Um, John, but I think he was oh, yeah, he was expediting. But no, at the beginning, when they grabbed the menu, like one of the bros grabbed the menu and was like, "You're doing this, you're doing this, you're doing this," and was just throwing out assignments as if he had been given that power. And yeah, that was John. That was John because he was talking about, oh yeah, you will do the French onion soup. And then he oh, started yeah. monologuing about when he first did French onion soup at the dawn of time and how yeah, all the monkeys you. were surprised, but he yeah. nailed it and then everybody <laughs> bowed to him as a god. Like, yeah. Uh, um, but yeah, so he was assigning people stuff, which is weird and douchey, but um, he assigned Kristen this, this thing she didn't want and she did really well. And that's contrasted with he assigned... Um, Carla, the squab, and Carla has never heard of squab, and so was very. Cooked it a lot. Yeah, apparently just cooked it a lot, but just did not do a good job of it then, or when she was reassigned it in Last Chance Kitchen. So squab is a nightmare for her. But like, I felt bad. She didn't seem like she wanted to do it, and it it sucks when people get assigned things. But then seeing Kristen like nail the things she didn't want as a contrast was really interesting. I was wondering, like with squab, are there just some foods we can all just agree that we just don't care about anymore, and no one can bother to try to make it again because it's just. Well, why are we doing that one? Yeah, squab just a fancy name for pigeon. Yeah, it's, it's pigeon. yeah. In terms, I gotta of, say, like, I've, yeah, it's like in terms of a meat source, I'm like kind of relatively more okay with us like trying to eat pigeon since they're around than like <laughs> and honestly yeah pigeon surplus is a problem we made as people like we thought domesticated pigeons were the hotness and then we got tired of them and gave up oh, so we should really eat all those pigeons that sounds a lot like us it doesn't <laughs> sound like us wait I, my under i have a vague memory that one of the reasons we brought 
pigeons everywhere is to eat them. Is that yes. or was it? That's why yeah. we have yeah. pigeons. They're not like a like a thing that was chilling here. We brought them to the Americas. I believe. Yeah. Uh, this is like the problem that uh, Northern California has with eucalyptus trees. Also, um, oh, interesting. So it's like basically we like uh, brought it over. Where it's like, hey, guys, these are super fast growing, and it's gonna be great for all the lumber we need uh, as soon as we're like you know like constructing things. And it was like, oh wait, turns out these things uh, are super flammable. And they just like they shatter instantly if you try to put a nail in it. Uh, and <laughs> so we basically have these like unusable exploding trees just ready for any kind of wildfire. It was super super short sighted. Don't you? Aren't they good for the butterflies? Okay. That's true. Well, now the butterflies take you away if you if you if you stay in any one place too long, Megan. It's it's kind of it's really bad. Uh, you know. <laughs> Do you, don't you also have wild pigs in Northern California from that reason? I think not that they explode when you nail them, but didn't they bring <laughs> pigs for food and then they got out of hand and now it's just wild pigs everywhere? I think that's the story of wild pigs everywhere, dude. Well, yeah, for sure. That is the wild pig way. We have wild pigs in California. I just look not around here. I'll, let me they can't afford rent, maybe. I felt like around Marin there were like there's wild pigs that you can hunt because people brought them for food, but yeah, I think that's more the south thing. Oh, okay. Um well, so yeah, okay, so I, I take it back then. We should it, this is more of like a look I'll if I if I let you bring a pigeon, are you going to clean up after it? It's like we have to keep Wait, cooking. This, <laughs> this is yeah. ours. This is our thing. But it is a it's a it's a smaller bird. Like chicken is already kind of hard to cook. You know, it gets dried out or it's completely inedible if it's under. And squab is just smaller, bonier, and more difficult for that entire. Yeah, that's the reason. main issue. Is like yeah. it's not only hard to cook, but your reward is very little squab to eat. Yes. Yeah. What a bummer of a dish. Yeah. Now we saw, for instance, on the on the last master season, people did squab really well. Um, yeah, it is possible. And, you know, so it yeah, it is. You don't cook it. You don't let it be so ribby. Also, it's weird that this hers was her dish was called on the website whole milk fed squab, and I feel a little weird feeding them milk, but yeah, that's what they want. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. On so that's the bottom. The bot round at the bottom. So we had Carla with the squab, uh, Chrissy with the. With Graham Peppy's sa- special salad, and then also um, CJ with his shish kebab, and Josh with his uh, French onion soup, which was bad, salty, cold, and uh, the crouton was uncuttable. Well, um, and CJ's CJ's dish was mealy for some reason, right? Mealy lamb because oh, he sous vide yes, it. Yeah, yeah. On a, this it's weird because this was like one of the key moments of like this is not an update challenge. This is a recreate challenge because Tom was mad that he had sous vide it at all, which they wouldn't have done in the fifties instead of being like, Oh, interesting way to use modern te- technique to make the fifties dish better. But he also like, didn't make it better. Right. True, true, true. It, he ruined if, it, if it had turned also. out great, it would have been like, Oh, how, you know, like this was really smart. How did you get this done in that amount of time? Oh, yeah, I sous vide it. Wow. You're true. so clever. Yeah. But instead it was, this was bad. You ruined this. Was it, if I remember, there was like a, um, during the Luau finale, I think this was Blaze used um, one of his potions to make like poi have the right consistency without having as much time to cook it. And it wasn't poisonous. And they were like super impressed that he updated it that way. And it was worthwhile. This feels like that, but then missing. Yeah. I mean, as with all Top Chef, if it's good, you're forgiven for whatever. Totally. I feel like this is leading us to the burger situation oh, which oh later. Gosh, next week next Can't week is going to be so painful oh, oh upset dad tom upset one dad. of my least favorite Tom. he was already yeah. rolling his eyes through i would say three quarters of these dishes like, I, like appetizers I, and then it was tough does everyone i i get 
I get this feeling, and I was saying this to Chris after we finished this episode, like, I, I want to know what was happening behind the scenes yeah. in some ways. Like, I feel like there were, like, weird contract negotiations happening or, like, so, like everyone just feels a little off with each other. Mm. Like, even amongst the judges, like, there's just something – There, it just feels like there's something happening. Like, there's just, mm-hmm. like, this, like – no, they're just, like, not – they're not a well-oiled machine. Like, everything's feeling a little hinky. And I can't put my finger on it, but they're it's not- just, like – they're not on the same page. It's like everyone is trying to make their own opinion and have the best opinion on the meal and the dishes. Like there's no sort of like conversation or like group discussion between Padma, Tom, Hugh, whoever else is there. It's like Mm -hmm. everyone is trying to be, everyone's kind of trying to be Tom in a way. Like everyone's trying to have the most insightful critique of every day. Maybe, maybe Tom had hinted that he wasn't going to be with the show for much longer. And so there was like a succession style battle going on Mm. of everyone trying to be the next Tom. Weird. I I love that idea. (laughs) And it's going to be. Emerald is Shiv. Oh, <laughs> Emerald is Shiv. I'm I like Shiv more than I like looking at Emerald, but that's just me. Sure. Uh, <laughs> I don't think that's next. just you. I think if you were to survey people, that would be a popular opinion. I don't know. I can talk for days about how much I like looking at Sarah Snook's face. So that's that's yeah. actually just about you that. Might, okay. Yeah. Sure. But um, between her and Emerald, I don't know. And I love. I Emerald. know that's mean to Emerald. I love Emerald. No, I love Emerald. Emerald's the best. Uh, but anyway. in general, I just and I do. I think there are moments in the edits with the judges' table conversations where one judge will be like, "I thought this was a delight," and then the next comment is, "Really? I thought this was a complete failure." <laughs> like, wait, what? Yeah, what like it just is hard to know what to feel. Of that was that Padma actually kind of liked the squad. Oh and yeah, she was just like, "Give me a little bit more or something," and I or or was it the salad? It was the yeah, salad. Was, yeah, she's like, actually, I, actually I thought this was great. If you if you gave me some mint, you know, would have been fine. Also, though. Uh, really, yeah. I think yeah, she also think we were divided on the squad as well. Yeah, Padma was just like real chill today, and well, Tom was chill, not. or she just like has different feelings about dressing. Honestly, I didn't when I looked at it. I was like, it might be a little overdressed, but it also kind of looks like a well, Caesar dressing, so maybe I'm into it. Yeah, <laughs> this is an embarrassing difficulty for me, which is that if I am at a salad restaurant and they were like, "Do you want light, medium, or heavy dressing?" I will say medium loudly, and then I will whisper, "Heavy, please." <laughs> Because I know I'm not supposed to, but I like a really aggressively dressed salad because the dressing tastes better than the lettuce. I don't understand why that's weird. Hot <sighs> takes. Uh, just because we're getting to the end, I think we should mention, like, or I want to mention, those desserts look like butt. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you want some, like, you want some sherbet puddle? Yeah. You want some grainy sherbet? <laughs> How did Eliza not wind up on the bottom with, like, a sherbet that was dissolving when it hit the table um, it looks so grainy <laughs> I, I don't understand how they liked it their only comment was like this is this sure is 50s this yeah, is yeah. i guess they served it as a liquid in the 50s <laughs> i don't know I, I was surprised they didn't say anything about it well but also that <laughs> i think is why we used to drink our sherbets <laughs> <laughs> this is one of the things about this challenge is that i think they mostly hate 50s food so when they were like you you perfectly recreated this thing I don't like, then they couldn't stay mad at it. They're like, we gave you a bad challenge. So I yeah. think that was the desserts. So was they were like, just, these are shitty desserts. Sorry. Was the restaurant just like, look, we will give you all of the money if you come here and eat this crappy food. And like Tom was like, what would I do to kind of meet all the money? So yeah, I guess we'll do it. That's interesting. 
I mean, we definitely know that's going to happen later with the cruise ship where they have to pretend to like it. So if they had to pretend to like Canlis for a bunch of money, that would be totally reasonable. Um, I like that. Yeah, both of the desserts were specifically Hawaiian desserts on this restaurant that claims to have invented Pacific Northwest cuisine. All I feel four. like there's all four. Yeah, yeah that's right. What is happening? But also um, in the fifties, Hawaii was like a big thing, right? You had surf culture, like yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Hawaii was its own marketing campaign. Yeah, yeah. And I, it was the, it was the newest state, you know. Yeah, I did exciting. like I did like that they said that the fish the, to get the mahi mahi they had to like pack it in ice in suitcases for people working on flights to bring it back, and it was not not legal. I enjoy that. I like a little fish smuggling. Not too much. Your suitcase would be so bit. cold and smelly. That's such a weird thing to smuggle. It is a weird thing to smuggle, and ensuring the food safety throughout that flight is not rough. guaranteed. Yeah, I guess the thing to come back to like Seattle cuisine as an idea. So far, we know that it's Portland and Hawaii, yeah. <laughs> and enormous potatoes from Idaho, yeah, right. oh, and yes. enormous. Yeah, it's like Seattle draws its cuisine from anywhere but Seattle. That Congratulations! Was, that tonight. was the worst two minutes of my life. Uh, I think just that everyone talked about how big that potato was. I just. No one had really. Anything. I don't know. I was I was like like wow, that's a big potato. Look how big this potato is. That's a big a potato. I don't know. And then it, and then what did you think of potato? It was big. Yeah, I thought that was so funny, and I like because it was like clearly like Josie took a very easy thing and did a yeah. mediocre job of it, but because they were so stunned by the size of the food item, they were distracted from how they how bad she did on something yeah. pretty basic. It was neither good nor bad. It was the same as any other baked potato, it seemed like. I will Except say, though. It was very big. It was very big. I will say that unlike anything else on this episode, it made me want to eat a baked potato. So I bought the biggest potatoes I could find this week to make Did a gigantic really? baked potato. Yeah. Aw. <laughs> really affected Alex. It got me. I love a baked potato, especially a big one. That's just more baked potato, you guys. I, I don't care that much about baked potato. I'm sorry. I love it. And it's not really LA summer food, but I'm going to do it. I find it a real challenge because it's never not, it's never not undersalted. Like a, a baked potato to me means, oh, did you want something under seasoned and really starchy? Congratulations. Here it is. I will provide so much salt. Um, all right. Before we go. So the, the eliminations were, um, as previously mentioned, Carla, and then also Chrissy for the soggy overdressed yeah. salad that I probably would have enjoyed. Um, couple of quick things uh, before we go. You can get in touch with the mailbag by going to packermikes.com or on Facebook or Twitter or sending email to mailbag at packermikes.com. First, I just want to send a special shout out to at Jake MHS on Twitter for sending us a meme this week. Yeah. We got a special Pack Your Mics meme. So um, I uh, had posted this photo of Tom eating, I believe it was the crab uh, cocktail, just from this episode, just like so stoked. He was so happy looking in this photo um, that I had attached to the uh, promo for this week. And Jake had uh, sent it back to us with Tom labeled me and his crab cocktail labeled another episode of Pack Your Mics. And oh, we are so sweet. With joy. Yes. Yeah, I guess that's I guess we are, yeah, but it's going in your ears. Anyway, it was very fun and it's such a great photo for it and it made me very happy. So thank you, Jake. A um, couple of quick mailbags. Uh, Bridget on Facebook says, um, I just want to make a quick defense of Turkey and the Food Ruiner. Ooh. From last week's episode. Turkey 
is great in a food ruiner if you don't cook the turkey whole. The second you divide it into parts or spatchcock it, don't Google mm-hmm. that without safe search, you're not dealing with uh, that, that spherical shape and a hot but inefficient power source uh, of heat. Um, so that it has to penetrate the center and cook all of it with two different types of meat in one. And that's why it gets overcooked so easily. So you don't have to. So if you break it apart, you get you can like more adequately manage the heat on the different parts of the turkey. It doesn't. The One of the reasons why Bridget continues smokers are low and slow. So that doesn't matter as much. And frying is so hot and incredibly efficient heat transfer because oil is a better conductor than air. The oven is um, that that both of those do a much better job. So the oven is being maligned but it's only by our desire to be a norman rockwell painting oh that makes a lot of sense that's sort of like america yeah <laughs> so much american that also a lot of physics um i enjoyed that very much so thank you for Food the science thank you so much would it help uh, to cook squab in different shapes also then like should we take out backbones or add in extra backbones like would that fix it i don't think you should add, add more ones. backbones good guess um <laughs> I do think Tom specifically said that it should have been deboned or broken in half. And specifically, I think he wanted fewer ribs, but um, I'd be worried you take one out and you make two extra uh, squabs out of it. I just, they, they had, there's that one shot of Carla prepping the squab where she just like smashed it really hard on the cutting board. Oh, that's so bad inside. I didn't (laughs) like watching that. I just was like, I don't know when it's a good idea to do that. And I'm sure every chef was like, I do that six times a minute, whatever. Why are you so sensitive? But like, I just was like, I don't know. That seemed rough. (laughs) What is your plan? Uh, it's bizarre. Um, and then Catherine on Facebook also had a, a, a few points in a, in a little pile, but I um, really like all of them. So I'm going to re- read them all. Um, first up, um, Stefan immediately starting in on Carla during the quick fire. Good God. Oh. She was she was just talking. She wasn't even shouting, just talking. Yeah. She was, mm-hmm. in fact, positively subdued, especially by the time she was presenting her dish. Um, uh, I'm not pleased that she left before Stefan did, but at least we don't have to listen to him pick on her anymore. That's true. She's in a safer place away from him in a different house, which we'll come back to in a second. Um, uh, point number two, uh, wasn't John's expediting also an issue in season 14 restaurant wars? I don't remember that. I believe you. Do you guys remember season 14 restaurant wars? Nope. Um, I don't remember it specifically. Where I believe is season it. 14? He was so... Charleston. Oh. And that was another one of those wow. partial seasons where Tessar came back um, and was actually mm. like a little bit more mature. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. I mean, he has he has a weird sort of redemptive arc over a long so too. Time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, yeah, his. I think I, that feels right that he's. I mean, clearly his expediting is not a skill he has, which is like I. I actually think you're in this challenge. You are immunityed. Expediting makes sense. You have restaurants. You have expedited. That seemed reasonable of a choice. Yeah. How was he so bad at it? He was yeah. immediately in the weeds. He was like first ticket, first ticket, like. he was immediately calling calling it so you didn't know how many like josh's attitude was not helping either but like immediately how many am i cooking be clear on what you're saying yeah yeah there was no there was no help or clarity i i missed the distinction or the like producer moment where they were like also someone has to expo like yeah that was that said to them 
No, they weren't. I, that was surprising to me too. Was whether someone had to be team lead, but I guess since you're doing service, it makes sense to have expo. Sort of. It just feels like they should have been more explicit about like, and totally. you're responsible for the communication between the service and the, you know, like that. Totally. To me, I was like, you gave yourself a job nobody needed to have. Like, why did you do that? Well, and by failing at it, you gave Josh a free pass for them to say, oh, the soup was cold, or you know, like, oh no, that was entirely on the expo. That wasn't my fault, Chef. And, I mean, we did, we did have that clip of him saying, "Hey, I got a soup dying up here." So mm-hmm. it was, it was actually also that problem. That's why the yeah. soup was getting done. Well, oh yeah, yeah. Um, also, he was, he was like. He was expoing, but he wasn't like tasting and helping really. So like the squab, like we had like seven squab come back. There was a whole oh. you were, like homing squab. Um, the way uh-huh. That's pretty good. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, continuing on with Catherine carrying Daniel. messages. Yeah, from the dining room. They were. They were all terrible notes from the dining room. It was like, can I have something else instead? <laughs> it just says bleh. Um. More points from Catherine. Uh, Chrissy was doomed the second she got stuck with that salad. I'm appalled that she didn't even get to taste one. Like she was recreating a dish, a very particular type of dish. Um, That's rude. I don't like that at all. Totally. You're like, hey, you have to, you have to recreate this thing that I had yesterday, but I won't show it to you. Yeah, everyone else was like, well, I sort of remember this from the 50s, and like, I guess right. it tasted like this, but yeah. yeah. I know how to make crab taste good, but it wasn't like, do I know how to make y- this thing your dad likes? Yeah, that was uh, definitely blatantly set up to fail, as Catherine said. Um, that should be, that should have been like a quick fire challenge on All Stars. It's just like, have a celebrity come in, and it's like, oh, this is my, this is my Chris Pratt salad. You should, uh, we want you to make a Chris Pratt salad. And then they're like, what's in a Chris Pratt salad? I was like, I made it yesterday. It was great. So go. <laughs> I've been having it every day for the last 20 years. Good luck. Yeah. Uh, I'd like this even more I, if it wasn't Chris Pratt or have anything to do with Chris Pratt. It's just like, you know, it just turns out Harrison Ford loves Chris Pratt salads. It's just that. that, that just <laughs> so it's still a Chris Pratt salad, but he's not the guest. No, it's just Harrison Ford. He's just like, oh, I could tell. Well, okay, so Chris guys, so one time, a bunch of years ago, I went over to Chris Pratt's house. I know uh, he's a nice guy, and he made me this salad. I want that again. This is the problem with people who have money. I think they're just they're so used to saying they want a thing and getting it perfectly that you just really have unrealistic expectations of the world. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, they and just show up to restaurants wearing like six cardigans a piece, and all they want is that salad from the past. <laughs> Quarter zip, half zip, button up, all of them. <laughs> it's the Pacific Northwest. You must layer. Uh, last point from Catherine. Are there rules about swearing in the mailbag? Because it's getting harder and harder for me not to swear about how much Stefan sucks. John made a good effort, but right now Stefan is my villain race front runner. Um, for sure. Yeah, he's a hot mess. I don't think... Do we need we, to vote on some rules right now? Yeah, we should have a quick discussion of rules. It's funny, like, I, I was immediately going to say, like, of course, swear as much as you want. And then I realized we actually don't swear that much on this show. I've know. always wondered, every time I do a swear, I worry about it. <laughs> well, they can swear in the mailbag, and we can bleep it out when we read it. Yeah, absolutely. Do we? Oh, but is it a swear-free show? This is genuinely a question we should be having. I think Packy Mike's... 
I historically swear. we've tried not to swear. I, I swear, swear early and I feel bad about it in this episode. Yeah, this is me. Yeah. This I, is also me. I do too. Is I swear and then feel bad about it. So could I we, think could we de guilt ourselves about swearing, or do we need no, to remain no, clean for? Are there that. like so are there the hordes of non olds listening who come to us and say like yeah. I love how you only use language I'm allowed to use? I well, no no. The, I think the official rule for pack your mic and the, so for the mailbag should be you're allowed to swear as long as you feel bad about it. Yeah, I don't that like that. Right. No, 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 no culture of shame. No, Get out no, of here no, with no, your no. culture of shame. Been doing it for seven years. Why change now? It's clearly <laughs> I, working. <laughs> but I just, I feel like we could just free ourselves and our listeners. Yeah, give us, please give us your raw, unfiltered feedback, and we would be delighted to hear it. And it's cathartic so, to be able this? to swear about Stefan. Guys, I got a good one. I got a good one. Anyone can swear, but they can only use any swear once. So anytime you swear, it has to be completely new. <laughs> Weird how yeah, your role doesn't alleviate guilt and makes it complicated. That sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> also, I just yeah, that's. Like that, I feel like I'm going to be in a science fiction really soon. Where I'm like, yeah, Stefan is a horping stop gobbler. Like, what is that? Like, no, we can't be doing that. He is a stop gobbler. Now, for yeah. sure. And I don't like to say horping in front of the kids, but he is a stop gobbler for sure. They've learned it off of TikTok anyway. <laughs> R.I.P. All right, he's gobbling that stop. Yeah, rip. Um, anyway, uh, future micro, future part of Microsoft Teams, uh, TikTok. All right, and then really quick before we go, it's thank you for all the feedback. You can get in touch with us. You know how to do it. Uh, quickly before we go, it's time for Last Chance Kitchen. Um, do you guys think they're going to do Last Chance Kitchen this year? A quote that is only being left in the show because the answer is yes. Um, yeah. So uh, we had a, a, we we had the return of Last Chance Kitchen this week with the all the eliminated chefs so far: Carla, Chrissy, Jeffrey, and Kaneko, who get a classic. Um, I was going to call it "Fix Your Fuck Up," but now I feel real weird about that. And <laughs> um, you did it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yay! Uh, feel, Small I, steps, I, tiny bit of guilt. Sorry, kids. Um, fix, <laughs> fix your fork, Bobbler. So the. Um, no, okay. <laughs> Carla remade her squab, still bad. Chrissy remade the salad, much better. Jeffrey remade the fish, cooked well. And Kaneko went a totally different direction with the potato chowder and crushed it, um, which is kind of fun, except I still feel very bad for Carla. And yeah. Tom didn't have to say, three of you did a great job and one of you sucks. Yeah, that was mean. A little harsh. Um, this was like, yeah. Was this the second ever season of Last Chance Kitchen 2? We were trying to think like whether it was a big addition to Texas. And that's why it was on their mind. It was around that time, yeah. So, um, yeah, it just was. It was like when Lashinch Kitchen was not like a chance for Tom to bond with the chefs again and be buddies. It was when Tom was like, "Impress me or die." <laughs> <laughs> it's a real shamey showcase. Like I feel like it. Yeah, it's it started not from a friendship place. <laughs> <laughs> I I do love. Um, this classic version of last chance kitchen challenge though, which is just like, here's your chance for redemption. Um, and especially when people get it, it's sad for Carla, but it was like, I really like that. Kaneko was so intimidated at first. Uh, it's the revenge to my potato and then managed to pull it out. Um, so that was kind of fun. Although Megan, you did point out that, um, the scale is vastly different in last chance kitchen. So it's kind of like, here's an easier way to get your redemption. Oh, Right, because you're not making the dish for so many people. It's just one. You're not making 50, 50 portions um, mm-hmm. on the line. Um, but the thing that I think is most important that we talk about, about Last Chance Kitchen this year, 
is that Tom brought the note directly to the eliminated chefs, but he did not bring it to the eliminated chefs at all of eight. So they didn't just go one floor down at all of eight. No, the they were chefs like Kirkland. <laughs> are living together in the suburbs. What is happening? There's a separate a punishment. There's a loser house in the suburbs. That's weird. There's a lot of loser houses in the suburbs. <laughs> uh, <Yeah>. Oh boy. <laughs> it was but right. Like, it, it actually was kind of a cute house. They had a little fire pit and they were just chilling, not being on Top Chef, but not being allowed to see their family. And Tom bursts in is like, new challenge. But now the Kaneko moved on and the other three didn't. Does that mean they're in a separate house? Oh. Or does Kaneko get promoted to a third rental property that's just for the current Last Chance Kitchen winner? What? No. She's, she's chilling in Kirkland, man. <laughs> He's just at the food mall in Northgate, being like, "Hmm, I wonder oh, if today's an Orange Julius day." Wait, you guys had an Orange Julius at a Northgate mall, also? We had them in Northern California. Really? Yeah. Oh wow! I mean, the Northgate mall. Who even knows? <laughs> what? Met, why was me. it? What was it? And now, for some reason, a lot of people I know live near there, and the answer is why. Sure, uh, sure. affordable comparatively. Yeah, yeah, but that's why. the mall is getting demolished to make way for the new NHL stadium. Oh, right. for the Kraken? Now you can live near for the Kraken. Stadium. Yeah, the Seattle Kraken. That's fun. Yeah. Um, is it fun? Yeah, is it? Well, it's a sea monster. I like a sea monster. No, I I, I think the name and the uh, mascot are fantastic. Yeah, I just don't know well, that living next to a stadium is only good. One, whereas most teams are like, you're multiple pirates, and then this one's just one Kraken. Yes, so I don't know uh, how that works. But we are Kraken. Like, we are Legion. Yeah, you know, it's like all the tentacles. Every player so is a suction cup. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's it. Everyone's a suction cup. Each line is a is a tentacle, and the yes. organ organ is the Kraken. Um, that is interesting. I would like that if one team was the pirate, and it's just like, oh, I'm I'm a kneecap. I'm a wooden I'm leg. The peg leg. <laughs> Um, I don't care about the NHL so much. We're not going to do a whole episode of hockey talky here. I just want to talk about how much fun the Kraken name is. Um, well, anyway, goodbye to Orange Rip Orange Julius. Um, uh, may you have a good time in the same place that TikTok is. We are going to wrap up on that unless anybody has any final thoughts. It. I really want to do predictions. Does anyone have any bold predictions for a thing you've already seen? Hey. Brooke is going to be best friends with everyone in the house. Brooke is such a nice dude. Uh, it's going. Yeah, I like that. I enjoy Brooke. Mm-hmm. I will continue to enjoy Brooke. <laughs> Me too. I know this much is true. <laughs> uh, my bold prediction for a season we've already seen is that uh, Danielle is a secret mastermind and will be the biggest villain of the season. Oh, she's, I thought you were going to say like, you're not saying secretly is actually good at cooking. You meant like no, she's the eat. quiet villain that I think Ezra yeah. was asking about. Oh, interesting. The one that has been foretold. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm um, I'm into this. This I'm this really good. like this this wet my whistle in a way that a lot of things <laughs> did not. I kind of like Danielle. I think she's done some fun stuff. Also, no, I like she's when she evil. Sings. She's hateful. She says so many bad things about you behind your back, Alex. <laughs> and and there's That's something so happening. Nice. I I like I, as a curly haired person, I genuinely don't know what to say about Danielle's hair other than that it like it makes me feel like an acute sense of empathy oh, and confusion. Yeah. It's like a, just, a lot of things happening. A I like when she stands happening. next to Big Siege because I believe she's the shortest person on the season. And um, it looks like there could be three of her in a trench coat and it would still not look CJ in the eye. It's just like looking at the scale of Siege kind of stresses me out sometimes. 
Like there was a scene where he was like bent over doing something, and I was like, "How is he taking up the whole kitchen?" Oh like, man, his whole his back on? must be so wrecked by counters being made for regular heighted people. We should have had more uh, like hanger beef shots with him, where it's just like he has to, like bend down all the way in order to like unload the beef. <laughs> also, his like I staged at Noma energy is just rolling off him in waves. Like I feel like he should have been in quarantine before he went on the show. Like, <laughs> somebody needed to just sit him down and be like, "Listen, it doesn't matter." virtually I, no one cares i know i siege is kind of a, a tough one this season because i i believe that i like him a lot more later and mm-hmm. i like him before but this middle instance of siege is just kind of depressing he's so yeah. confident in a way that is gross he's like not like not even confident confidence is good he's just like keeps telling people how good he is in a way that i don't enjoy energy he's just got that sort of like confidence that goes it curdles into being <laughs> being a jerk He's yes, almost yes. he's almost at confidence cheese, but not quite. Yeah, it's uncomfortable. It's deeply oh. uncomfortable. I think speak. I think this this next app for me, like I, in every Top Chef episode I watch, I'm like, well, at least it's not that one time in Seattle with the pickles. Yes, <laughs> so, it's coming. So I think this. I'm interested to revisit this to see if it's as bad as I remember, because maybe it's not. Sarah and Kyle, you're not actually leaving next week for a, tri- a road trip. You're just skipping out on the episode you hate the most. Yeah, we want to avoid this pickle conflict. <laughs> I it's don't a real remember. something. I don't remember hanging it so much. I think well, it's CJ's- the high place market episode, which I, I remember being furious at because I feel like it just also the one time they do something Seattle-y, they kind of half-ass it. Yep, yep. I but I just like. Even though he's wrong and dumb, just CJ's insistence on how this pickle should work is so hilarious to me. Uh, all right. Well, I'm looking forward, as usual, everyone else is getting sad when I'm looking forward to it. So um, <laughs> I'm putting myself in the run for villain again this season. Uh, whereas Chris, interestingly enough, hmm? you're just covered in dressing and I can't handle it. So I'm going to have you to pack your mics and stay home safely, please. Uh, just a little mint and I could be here next week. <laughs> I would like a minty fresh Chris. That would be fine next week. Bring that next week. Give a chance to come back. Go go enjoy your house in Kirkland. Um, we will all be back next week talking about 10.05. We're going to talk about the big pickle incident, which we've quoted on this show probably more than any other moment in Top Chef history. So it is nice good quote. to land on it. Um, and also, if you want to take a look at our Top Chef meme, it's on our going to be on the website, on the show notes for this episode. If you have any other memes for us, please keep sending them. It makes me very happy. Um yeah, thank you for thanks for being here, everybody. Thanks for being here, as and Sarah. Yeah. Um, and uh, thanks for hanging out, Sarah and Kyle. We'll miss you guys next week. Drive safe. Thank room, you. Room. Um, <laughs> thank you, Kyle. And also, uh, thanks for being here, Chris and Tanya. Great talking of to course. you guys. Um, yes. And Megan, have a good week. I'll see you next week. We're yeah. not talking off the podcast anymore. So see you next week. Um, all right. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> Don't be a snob gobbler. <laughs>